So, today we are in James 1, 19 through 27. Um, but before we jump into our passage, I wanted to give a little background on where we've been in James so far, just to remind ourselves, because even though it's 18 verses, it still had a whole lot in those 18 verses. So, first of all, uh, the book of James started off with James addressing the 12 tribes that are scattered and telling them to consider their persecution and trials joy because of the maturity it would bring to their faith. So it is through trials that they are able to develop perseverance, patience, and be able to stand strong. Now, James also told them about the danger of being double-minded. He says he tells them this danger because double-minded people are the kind of people who on the one hand say they trust God, but then on the other hand, they still try to figure things out on their own. These are the people who would say, Two foundations are better than one, right? Instead, James calls them to stand on the one foundation of Jesus Christ who won't fail them. Now, last week, we read a passage where James wrote about temptations and trials. And we learned that trials are the things that happen outside of a person, while temptations are the things that happen inside. It's how you respond to your circumstances. So James uses here an example of the rich who may think that their money gives them a sense of security and safety, but ultimately ultimately it's fading away day by day, as are we. Now finally, I think we would be really missing the point of today's passage if we didn't first talk about how last week's passage ended. And that is that James reminded them that every good gift comes from the Father, who, as verse 18 says, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Now remember that as we talked about week one, James is written to believers, telling them how to live in this new life they have been given. That's really important. It's we have been given new birth through God. So then what does that mean about how we should live? How can we live a life of blessing here and now entering into a present salvation? That is what our passage is all about. Now, our passage is about how we respond to God's word. It's going to focus around three things. Hearing receiving, and obeying. So before we jump into our passage today, let's start with prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that um, we have the ability to come here together and study it together, Lord. What a blessing that is. I pray that today we would be good listeners, opening our mind and our heart to what you want to say to us. And that as we leave here today, that we would be able to apply the things that you have taught us here. Lord, thank you for your love and for all of the many blessings that you pour out on us. Teach us today, Father. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so let's jump right in. Um, I've divided our, um, our few verses into three separate sections. The first section focuses on how we are to be good listeners. The second is how listening should lead to doing. 
And the third is three areas of obedience that James focuses on. So first is James 1, 19 through 21. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So first, let's remember the audience. Remember that James writes this to an audience of people who would be facing some serious persecution. Now, during those times of hardship, persecution, and suffering, I think it would be really difficult to be good listeners, to not go around talking about their struggles. James encourages them here, however, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I have to think that this would be especially true with God. It would be easy in prayer to list off their struggles, their issues, their fears, instead of listening to the wisdom that was promised from God earlier in verse 5. James wants them to be listening to that wisdom that only God can give in the midst of their struggles. So then I had to ask myself the question, how much time when facing struggles or hard times or fear or worry do I spend listing out my problems to others and to God? But how much time, on the other hand, do I spend listening? Perhaps God wants to give me some much-needed perspective or wisdom, but I'm too busy talking to really hear what it is. So now I have a quick little outline for this um, part of James. And so first of all, James gives us the proper preparation for receiving the word. And that is getting rid of moral filth. Secondly, he gives us the required attitude, and that is humility, or as another version of the Bible calls it, meekness. Secondly, he tells us the thing to be received, and that is the word planted in them. And lastly, the expected result is being saved. Now, James here goes into a section on anger, and at first it might seem kind of out of place. It says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The one commentator I read said, The great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. The key word here is slow to anger. James here teaches us one a truth about human anger, and that is that it is usually heavily impregnated with sin. It's filled with self-importance, self-assertion, intolerance, and stubbornness. Now, we might be thinking that in the Bible we learn that anger itself is not a sin. In fact, Jesus gets angry. But as I stated, I think that the key word here is slow. And the same commentator also said that most of us would have to confess that holy anger belongs in a state of sanctification to which we have not yet attained. I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I have responded out of anger, the only thing I am filled with is regret. Usually nothing positive comes out of it. Now God, his anger against sin involved a cross. 
He is slow to anger, and we are called to be the same. Now, once again, I remind you that all of this is centered around how we relate to the Word of God. James here is developing um, what he wants us, what kind of spirit he wants us to have as we come to the Word of God. And that is not an angry spirit, but an attentive one. And so we are to have an attentive spirit. As one commentator pointed out, we might wonder why James, here in this very practical book, doesn't go on to outline and explain the importance of reading our scripture. But instead, he goes one step deeper because he knows that just reading our Bible every day can just accomplish the task of moving the bookmark a little bit forward if we don't come to it with the right kind of spirit. And that is why James focuses on our need for an attentive spirit, one that is willing and ready to hear and respond to the voice of God. I like how Motier put it in his commentary. He says, The blunt fact is that our life with God is not something segregated to be restricted to quiet times while insulated from our life with people. If we do not have an attentive ear in the ordinary circumstances of life, we do not become different people when we shut the door and open the Bible. So this is why James speaks of our need for humility. He says to humbly accept the word planted in you, or as one version calls it, with meekness. This is the special ingredient that the soil needs in order for true growth to happen. This is the humility that doesn't respond in anger or argumentatively, but instead is open to what the word will teach and command us. Calvin calls it the mind disposed to learn and to do so with prompt readiness. This is humility that accepts that we truly do not know what is best for ourselves, because it's when we believe that to our very core that we can be open and willing to hear and to respond to what God's word teaches us. So now this brings us to our next section in James, and that is verses 22 through 25. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here James talks about the importance of not just listening, but doing. He takes this one step further. We're to be good, attentive listeners, as we saw in the passage before. But that listening should ultimately lead to doing. So in the ancient world, it would have been common for you to hear a teacher, but it's only once you put into practice the things that teacher taught that you're considered a disciple. Now, this passage flows perfectly out of verse 18, which we're going to come back to over and over again today. And it says that we have, in verse 18, it says we receive the blessing of new birth. So now the question is, how do we enjoy this blessing? James' answer is living in obedience. So the word for us is to become a guiding, permanent, inseparable presence with us once we have received that new birth. 
Now, throughout the gospel, we constantly have the story of God's initiative of grace poured out for us. And our necessary grateful response is that of obedience. Now, here is where I think this passage gets really neat. This is where James talks about a man who looks at his face in a mirror, walks away, and completely forgets what he looks like. Now, looking into a mirror has a purpose. We're not supposed to, even though I'm sure we all do, I do all the time, just look into a mirror just to be looking at and admiring ourselves. Um, But a mirror has a purpose. It is for us to look at the mirror, see if there's anything that we need to change. And so it is with God's word. Looking, really peering into God's word intently should be like looking into a mirror. You see, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see not only our outward appearance, but we see our true selves, our motives, our desires, and our inward condition. Charles Spurgeon says, The word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart, and his inmost self. So God's word is supposed to show us who we really are. And it should at the same time convict us, challenge us, provoke us, and confront us. When we read it, as Sam Alberry says, it shows you you. Now I have countless examples of when reading the Bible has been like a mirror for me, when it showed me who I was. But as I thought about this, the one that came to mind was a verse that I really focused on over the summer. As leaders, we spent some time doing solitude and silence, reading through Ruth Barton's book on an invitation to solitude and silence. And as I spent time in solitude, there was one verse that I repeated over and over again. I posted it all around my house to try to remember it. And it is Psalm 131-2. It says, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And so as I meditated on this verse, as I prayed upon it, as I asked the Lord to speak to me in my time of solitude, I realized that it was like a mirror for me. As I looked into this, as I spent time in it, I realized my inmost desire was to be this person, was to be the person who can shut out the noise, climb into my father's lap, and be content. But it didn't just show me my inmost desires, it also showed me who I was. It showed me that I fall very short of this person. It showed me that I was struggling with being content. I was doing what I've always done my whole life, looking for the next thing. Not focusing on where God has me at right now. And so in the summer, he gave me time of rest to spend with him. And instead of resting and enjoying that time... I was looking for the next thing. And so what did I do about this revelation about myself? First of all, I asked God to have his grace enable me to be the kind of person that I wanted to be. Because first and foremost, we come to God and we say, this is who we want to be. I can't do it on my own. But then secondly, I wanted to take practical steps to work on being the person I wanted to be. To be this person characterized by contentment. And so in my time of prayer every morning, I spent far more time in thanksgiving and gratitude instead of enlisting all of the things that I wanted next. 
because I wanted to look into the mirror that is God's word, step away and remember what I had looked like and do something to change it. And so when we look into God's word and it shows us who we are, it should, it should change us. It should push us towards action. I like how Motier said it in his commentary. He says, I spent 50 minutes this morning reading the Bible and I can remember what I read. It was a super uninterrupted time. But James would say, well done. But now what have you done about obeying the word that you've read? Have you actually changed your mind so that you now hold to be true what you learned in the word? Have you and are you redirecting your imagination and your eyes and your thoughts so as to live according to the standards of the word? Are your relationships different as the word instructed you they should be? So that is why here at Women's Bible Study, we stress that we don't just want head knowledge. We don't want you to leave here saying that you enjoyed the lecture, had a great discussion, and end there. But we want you to leave here, take something from what you've learned, and apply it to your life, and to hold one another accountable. Because this is what James teaches us. We are to be doers of the word, not simply hearers. Now here's the really awesome thing, is that we are told that the law gives us freedom. This morning in leaders' meeting, Anne quoted this, and I really liked it. It said, God allows us to do what we want, but through him we have a whole other list of what we want. So the law gives freedom. It says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Albury in his commentary on James notes that Western society tends to think of freedom completely in the terms of the absence of restriction. So this is the idea that if we remove all constraints, we end up with freedom. So the imposition of rules or boundaries, by definition, would be a restriction of our freedom. But in the Bible, freedom is very different than that. It is not simply the absence of any and every kind of restraint, but rather the presence of the right kind of restraint. As Betsy mentioned it this morning, she was talking about how the law tells us that we are not to covet, but when we covet something, we become enslaved by it, controlled by it. So being told not to covet really in turn gives us freedom. And freedom is only found when we are in the environment that we were designed to flourish in, and that is obedience to God's word. Genesis 1, 26-28 states that we are made in the image of God. Therefore, we live the truly human life as it was created to be when we live as he lived. Now we have to remember in Exodus, when the Lord gave the law to Moses, it was after they had been brought out of bondage from Egypt. This was instruction on how to live outside of bondage. It wasn't a way to bring them into bondage. And so it is for us. The law is a way that we are released from bondage. It is when we live in obedience that we truly live free. We are free when we live the life appropriate to those created in the image of God. Now, as I wrestled with this idea that the law gives freedom, I was kind of struggling with a good illustration for this. And um, I talked to my husband about it, and he gave me this illustration last night, and I thought, 
it really helped me understand it, so maybe it'll help you as well. He said, let's imagine someone who's not a very good craftsman. He doesn't know what he is doing, therefore he can't really do very much because he doesn't know how. But there are some people out there who are master craftsmen. These people do have freedom because they can build anything because they have the skills to do it. Now if that master craftsman came to the unskilled man and taught him, he gives him the rules and the instructions for creating. He wouldn't be oppressing him saying, I'm gonna control you, you have to do things my way. But instead he's actually giving him freedom. You see, the unskilled man was originally a slave to his own ignorance. By learning the rules and instructions, he now has the freedom to create. And so we, having been given the law by our master craftsman, the rules and instructions for how to live this life in blessing, can now live in freedom because we are no longer slaves to our own ignorance. Now with this in mind, I want to remind you that today we are not talking about how we get into heaven. Instead, we're talking about how to live as mature Christians. Living in obedience is how we truly live the most blessed life. And obedience is, of course, not without the grace of God enabling it. Now, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, I think, gives a beautiful picture of how the law gives us freedom. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditate on his law day and night. That person is like a tree, planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And now remember in Matthew 11, Jesus calls them to come to him who are you who are weary, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We're called to live in obedience, but that obedience is not without the grace of God enabling it. Now we get to the last section of our passage in James, and that is the verses 26 through 27. It says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in James' letter so far, we've learned two main things about our Father. First of all, we have learned that he is ready to ready and willing to give us his wisdom. We learn that in verse 5. And secondly, we learned in verse 18 that he has shared his nature with us. So then we ask these questions. What would life be like controlled by the Father's wisdom? And what would it be like if we live out of our new nature? Now here James gives us three areas of obedience. First, a controlled tongue. Second, a caring ministry to the needy. And third, personal holiness. Now, verses 19 through 25 dealt with hearing, receiving, and obeying God's word. And then he follows with three key areas of obedience. But I had to ask the question, why does he choose these areas to highlight? And for that, I come back once again to verse 18. 
So verse 18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. J.A. Motier outlines very well why these three aspects are highlighted when he points out the three features central to God the Father here in verse 18. First of all, he chose to give us birth. He reached out to us, helpless though we were, depraved and death-bound though we were, and he gave us life. Therefore, we are told to reach out and care for the helpless and needy, imitating his act done towards us. Secondly, he reaches out to us through the life-giving word he speaks, the word of truth. Therefore, we are called to control our tongue and be good listeners, ready to hear that word of truth spoken and ready to hear his wisdom freely offered. Now, finally, his life-giving work all had a purpose. We are his first fruits, specially his and notably holy. Therefore, we are called to live a life of personal holiness. Now, I made a little chart to help kind of outline this. I hope it helps. I tried to color code it so that you could tell what parts go with which. So first we have three truths about our father, his spontaneous care for the helpless, which lines up with the mark of a child of God that is a caring ministry to the needy, his word of truth. These are all in verse 18. And then ours is a controlled tongue in verse 26. Finally, his purpose of holiness, we are his first fruits, and we are called to live a holy life in verse 27. Now, as you can see, these topics are going to be pretty important to James. They're going to go on to be expounded upon in the coming chapters because they are that important to him. And just a note about this caring for the needy and holy life. It says we're called to be unstained from the world. Now, I think that the way that we remain unstained from the world is by living completely different than the world calls us to. Now, the world tells us that we need to look out for ourselves first and foremost. So instead, by caring for the needy, that is how we truly remain unstained from the world. It is by helping those who can't help us back, those who we expect to get nothing from in return, which is why we're given the example here of widows and orphans. This is how we live the truly holy life God calls us to live. And we do this because he first helped us, reached out and helped us helpless as we were. Motier says that these three characteristics of a Christian say to us really beautifully, like Father, like child. So in conclusion, let's bring this all together. Hopefully this passage in James calls us to come to God's word with open ears, ready to listen to the wisdom of God given to us. As we come to his word, we have to prepare ourselves properly. And that is by getting rid of anything that might get in the way of truly listening and receiving his word. And to have an attitude of humility and meekness, an attentive spirit. But we are not simply to be listeners, but also doers of the word. Since we have received new birth, new life, this is how we are called to live, in obedience. 
And the beautiful thing is that as we look into the word of God, it is like looking into a mirror. It shows us who we truly are and should cause us to want to change. And this is because living in obedience to God's word is how we truly live in freedom. God's law is one that frees us from bondage because following it brings us more in line with who we were created to be, made in his image. And coming to his law also makes us aware of how we fall short and we need his saving grace. And so with all that in mind, we have three areas of obedience James encourages, areas that mirror the acts done by God himself. We are to care for the helpless as God cares for us, to be good listeners, slow to speak, because God will give us his word of truth, and finally to live a life of holiness, because we are his first fruits, specially his, and set apart for him. Now I have a song to play for you, and um, I've kind of made it my goal to always have a song that goes along with the lecture. And that is because for me, uh, music always sticks in my head. I repeat it over and over again, and that's why I've really become fond of Christian music, because I like what is going through my head during the days. And so I figure that as you leave here, you might forget everything that I said, and you might forget what you talk about in your groups, but maybe you'll find yourself humming a little tune, or maybe a few words from this song will stick in your head and remind you. And so this song is called Word of God Speak by Mercy Me. It says, Word of God Speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God Speak. So I would encourage you this week, since I'm hoping that you'll take something from here and apply it to your days. Maybe a good application this week would be just to listen to this song one more time during the week. And when you listen to it, then set a timer for just 10 minutes. Set aside 10 minutes where you ask God to just speak to you. Because for me, that's been really meaningful, setting aside just a little bit of time, ready and willing to listen to what he has to say. And then hopefully leaving there, ready to apply it to your life. So let's listen to this song.